Scripture passage this morning is Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. And after study this week, I realized a better sermon pericope would be verses 1 through 11 instead of verses 1 through 4. It's not Gail's fault. It's my fault, okay? Because I could have told her and I forgot to. So nobody give her a hard time. Just give me a hard time, all right? Genesis 1 through 11. Or Genesis 37, verses 1 through 11. That would be a long Bible reading, Genesis 1 through 11. We could do it. You know. Genesis 37, verse 1 through 11. Pew Bible, page 60. Hear now the reading of God's holy, inspired, infallible, and sufficient word. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. As for the reading of God's holy word, may he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, may you bless the reading and preaching of your word. May you enlighten us by your spirit. May we see in this your word the greatness of your grace toward us in Jesus Christ, our Savior. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Recently I was... Um, watching these uh, small clips on, on YouTube, and I came across this comedian, and, and uh, he was making some keen observations that I found uh, quite interesting and, and also uh, quite entertaining and funny. And uh, he told me that he was realizing that Harry Potter was just a ripoff of Star Wars. And this is how he came to that conclusion. A young male orphan protagonist, for his own safety, is shipped off to live with his aunt and uncle until a mysterious bearded stranger who actually first delivered him to his aunt and uncle when he was a baby comes back into his life and starts to teach him about this ancient kind of magic. Granted, he's going to learn a lot more about this magic from an older, wiser wizard later in the story. Regardless, his uncle is totally against this magic stuff and he won't even tell him what really happened to his parents. 
But against his uncle's wishes, he leaves home for the first time, makes some new friends, meets a pretty impetuous young girl. And though there will be an odd sexual tension throughout between these two, he'll only see her as a sister while she struggles with the feeling she has for, her, for his best friend, the scruffy comic relief. Now, if you know both the story of Star Wars and Harry Potter, you'll realize that there are all these similarities between the stories. What this gentleman didn't realize, though, is that Star Wars is actually ripped off of Frank Herbert's 1965 book, Dune. And you can even go further and further back from that because the reality is all these stories point to a typological reality, and that is this meta narrative that is found in the Bible. And the Bible is a great story about the chosen one. Jesus. And why do I bring all that up as we enter into this new part of Genesis? Joseph's story. That is because of all of the fathers, forefathers in the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who will be mentioned over and over and over again throughout all of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Those are the patriarchs Joseph gets the biggest chunk of Genesis. And you've got to ask yourself, why is that? Well, that's, I believe it's because God, as the great author of the Scripture, is pointing to us the preeminence of Jesus Christ in all of Scripture. And that Joseph is, in Genesis, the clearest type of Christ, that Jesus is the greater Joseph. And we're going to see that even in these first 11 verses. And if there's one thing that I could think about that I could summarize here in these first 11 verses that God is trying to teach us, it is that we must humble ourselves before the favored son. We must humble ourselves before the favored son. So let's look at the scripture passage this morning. Let's look at the first Four verses. This point is entitled, A Favored Son. We just transitioned from the story that tells us all about Esau and his descendants, the Edomites, who would later come to uh, live in the land of Edom and grow into great kingdoms. And this is what happens at the beginning of Genesis chapter 37. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. What we're being told is that in distinction to Esau, Jacob continued to live in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. And what the NIV does not help us here with is that the word here is Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned, where his father had been a wanderer, where his father had been a pilgrim. And so what we're being told here is that Jacob is choosing the life of his father, choosing the pattern of life of his father, he is continuing to choose to be an alien, a stranger, a sojourn in the land of promise. And that's important to us because as we think about the Christian life, we are called to the same reality. We're called to be sojourners, wanderers, exiles. That is that if you ever feel out of place, if you ever feel like this is not your home, you're in good company because the scriptures tell us that we are citizens, citizens of heaven. 
that we are uh, destined for a greater kingdom and a greater country and a greater city that what we have here should not feel like what we're meant to be for. That is the path that Abraham chose. That's the path that Isaac chose. That's the path that Jacob chose. The life of a pilgrim. The life of somebody who knows that they are destined for a place that is greater than the current place. They are destined for a place that is greater than the current condition. That we are in the world, but not of the world. Jacob is choosing the life of a sojourner, a wanderer. And in verse 2, we have that word, the toledote. This is the toledote of Jacob. The uh, book of Genesis is broken down into 11 of these sections. And it's often translated, this is the account of Jacob. This is the generations. This is the book. But it's interesting that as we introduce this section of Jacob, the first thing that we're told about is not Jacob, but, but the dominance of Joseph in the story, in the account of Jacob's descendants. The dominance of Joseph's narrative, his story being told. So what we read here about Joseph is important. That, that there's a lot of years that we skip over in Joseph's life, and we go straight to those teenage years, 17. And Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. This is the first thing that we're told about Joseph. Now, there's an interesting way that you can translate the Hebrew here that also functions as a precursor or a, what you would call a foreshadowing. What we're told is that Joseph is a young man. He's 17. He's tending the flocks, but... You can actually translate this, he's tending the flocks, which are his brothers. As in, he's the shepherd, they're the sheep, right? But what we have here is that it says that he's out shepherding the flocks with his brothers. But this is important because when Moses wrote this to the people of Israel, when Moses wrote these books, they would understand that the shepherd would later become connected with a ruler. The shepherd would later become connected with the great and dominant and predominant kingly family of Israel, David, who was a shepherd. The shepherd is, a, is a, uh, an image for a ruler, for a king. And here is Joseph, a young man, out shepherding the flocks. And while he's out shepherding the flocks, he sees his brothers. And what I want you to understand about this situation is that of all the patriarchs, of all the people in the Old Testament, the only one we never hear a single bad thing about is Joseph. Now, some people want to look at this early time in his life and say, well, that was unwise, or maybe he was being boastful or prideful. You kind of think that Joseph got what was coming for him, but I hope that as we go through this first 11 verses of Joseph's story, you might see it in a different way. Joseph, we are told, gives a bad report. The word there is actually evil report about his brothers. But we've already heard stories about some of Joseph's brothers. In fact, one of the last things we heard about Reuben 
was that he slept with his father's wife. One of the last things we heard about Simeon and Levi is that they went through an entire city and killed all the men. And so what you've got to understand about these brothers that Joseph has given an evil report about is that up until this point, what we're told about them is that they are very worldly. They are very much like Esau, much like Edom, and their appetites and the things that they do and the behavior that they have. And so it shouldn't be surprising to us that Joseph would speak to his father about evil that they're doing. What we're being told in this moment is that Joseph is a young man with a tender conscience, a young man who is principled, who understands right and wrong, and his conscience is pricked by the wrong that his brothers are doing. And so he does what a good, obedient son would do. He speaks of these things to his father. He speaks of these things to his father. And now we know that Joseph is the favorite son because, in verse 3, we're told, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, because he was the son of his old age. And he made a richly ornamented robe for, the, for him. The meaning of the Hebrew for this is uncertain. Um, many people like to say the technicolor dream coat, right? Because that's what a, a very famous, a very popular musical about Joseph's life has popularized. But we're not sure what it means. Whatever it means, it's a robe that made him stand out. It's a robe that told everyone else that Joseph is chosen, that Joseph is the favored son. In fact, this robe could have meant that Jacob intended on giving the blessing of the oldest son, the blessing given to the favored son, given to the, the double portion that's meant to be given to Joseph. He intended on giving it to Joseph. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. This is the favorite son of the father. This is the one who came to his own and his own did not receive him. This is the one that came into the world and he said, listen, you've got a sin problem. And they didn't want to hear it. This is the one who was baptized and the words from heaven said, this is my favorite son. Listen to him. And they did not listen to him. And this is the one we are called to be like. This is the one that we are called to image. This is the one that we are called to live like. I want you to know something, that one of the things that God is teaching us here is that a principled life in obedience to the Father, is going to bring the hatred of the world. Do you think you can stand for Christian principles? Do you think you can stand on what the God's Word says about what is right and what is wrong and not receive criticism, not receive hatred? Your life is a demonstration to others 
But this world is not all there is. And Jesus said, if they have persecuted me, the student is not greater than the teacher. They will persecute you. And I need to tell you something very clear. If it hasn't happened to you, it's coming. If you can't tell by the world that we live in and the culture that we live in, that the things that we stand for and the things that we believe in and the things that we hold to are becoming less and less popular, becoming less and less mainstream, then you need to turn on the news. I'm not saying that you go out there and you scream all about how you stand for this and you believe in this and you believe in this. Although I do believe we should be in pursuit of justice, the scriptures tell us that as long as it's in our ability, we should seek to live at peace with all people. But I want to tell you something. If you desire to live a godly life in Jesus Christ, as quiet as you may try to be, and living a principled life in obedience to the Father, you're going to receive the hatred of the world. Because you're not of this world. You're a sojourner. You're a wanderer. You're a pilgrim. And your life shines like stars in a world of darkness, proclaiming that there is something else. Proclaiming that there is a judgment to come. And Joseph's brothers display this for us. They display that they do not want to humble themselves before the favored son. They hate him and could not speak a kind word to him. Could not speak a kind word to him. But we learn something else about Joseph. We learn that he's a faithful prophet. Now many people have read this particular part of our passage this morning and thought to themselves, Joseph, that's maybe not a good idea to share these dreams. And with your brothers, I mean, what are you doing? They already don't like you. It's pretty obvious. And here you go, just blabbing. You're very naive, you know. That's, that's a lot of the way that Joseph is being, uh, I've heard in, in the past, being pictured here in our passage. But I want to, to draw your attention to a couple things. Verses 5 through 8, we're told about the, the first dream that Joseph has. And in verse 9, we're told about a second dream. So let's look at that, verse 5 through 9. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field, when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. And then he told his father as well as his brothers. Why do I say this shows that Joseph is a faithful prophet? Well, that is because before the writing down of Scripture... The way God spoke to his prophets was in dreams. In the book of Genesis, we've already seen this, that God spoke to Abimelech in a dream. That God spoke to Laban in a dream. 
In a very real sense, there are other instances in the book of Genesis up until this point where the way that God communicated to the prophet was through a dream. And I want you to understand something about when God speaks a word to you as a prophet. It's meant to be told. It's meant to be told. You see, Joseph is not a politician. If Joseph were a politician, he would have kept his mouth shut about the evil things his brothers were doing so that he could stay on their good side and maybe get their vote in a future election. If Joseph were a politician, he would have kept his mouth shut about the dreams that he had in order to not offend anyone. But Joseph is not a politician. Joseph is a faithful prophet. And when he received the word from God in his dreams, he proclaimed it as prophecy is meant to be done. And in fact, later on, we will see in Joseph's story that when God gave a dream to Pharaoh, and then God gave another dream to Pharaoh, Joseph will come to him and he'll say, the reason why you were given the same dream twice is so that you would know this is surely about to happen. This is confirmed. And what do we see here? Joseph is given two dreams. So is Joseph being a naive boy? Is he being kind of prideful and arrogant to proclaim that these dreams are showing that his family is going to bow down to him? His brothers are going to bow down to him? Even his father and mother are going to bow down to him? Is that what's going on here? Or is Joseph being a faithful prophet who is the favorite son of the father and proclaiming exactly what? God said to him. And while you're thinking about that question, this is one thing that I want you to realize. That if Joseph had not faithfully proclaimed the word of God to his brothers, they would never have sold him into slavery. He would never have ended up in Egypt. He would have never risen to be at the right hand of Pharaoh. And he would never have saved the people of Israel. From whom comes Jesus, our Savior. Joseph is a faithful prophet in this moment. He faithfully proclaims the word of God. And this is what I want you to understand. We are also called to faithfully proclaim the word of God in our lives, in our families, in our places of work, to our unbelieving friends and family members. No matter what reaction we may receive. You understand that when Joseph proclaimed this word to his brothers... They hated him all the more. It increased their hatred of him. It grew. But that did not change the fact that Joseph was called to faithfully proclaim this word that he'd received from God in a dream. We are told, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything I have commanded you. 
At its core, the Great Commission is a calling to faithfully proclaim the Word of God to the nations, teaching them everything that Jesus has commanded us, teaching them about the life they are called to live, about the sin they are called to forsake, about the good that they're called to do and to live out. We're not promised that in this duty, in this calling, that we'll always have people who receive it gladly and welcome it. I think of missionaries who went to unreached peoples and lived their entire lives faithfully proclaiming the, the gospel with zero converts just so they could till that hard soil for the one who would come after. We're called to faithfully proclaim the word of God no matter what reaction we may receive. See, Joseph here in this is a favorite son. He's a faithful prophet. He is picturing for us Jesus, the favorite son, Jesus, the faithful prophet who came, he proclaimed the truth. He proclaimed what God told him to say. He said only what the Father told him to say. And some of the things he said were harsh. Some of the things he said were difficult. He said, unless you believe I am, you too will die in your sins. And what did they do with Jesus? They hated him all the more. They hated him. Yet he faithfully proclaimed the word of God. If Jesus were a politician, the gospels would look a little bit different. But Jesus was not a politician. He was a faithful prophet, the favorite son of God the Father. He came, he faithfully proclaimed the word of God. And what did he get for faithfully proclaiming the word of God? Crucify him, crucify him. But this is how genius God's plan of redemption is. That Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, would say, God hid the true nature of who Jesus was because if they had not, if they had known they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So Jesus was faithful in proclaiming the word of God, knowing that the result of that would be his crucifixion. Joseph was faithful in proclaiming the word of God. He didn't know, but the result of it was that his brothers would hate him all the more and sell him into slavery. It would lead to his humiliation. The last point we have to look at this morning is a full consideration of God's word. After Joseph had the second dream, the one that not only included the brothers, but the sun and the moon, the father and the son, he told it to his father as well as his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? 
And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. You see, what I want to look at here in this moment is Jacob's initial reaction to hearing the word of God faithfully proclaimed by the prophet Joseph. When Jacob is told that Joseph's dream shows that one day even Jacob, the father, is going to bow down to Joseph, the son, he rebukes him. You see, often our initial reaction to a hard word from God is prideful anger. Just like Jacob displays here. Often those who do not know the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, their initial reaction is anger. Have you ever shared the gospel with someone that you really cared about, someone that you wanted to know the good news of Jesus? You wanted them to experience the forgiveness of sins, the washing away of their sins and their guilt. You wanted them to experience the new life that is in Jesus Christ. And you were so discouraged because when you shared with them the reality of sin, that they were a sinner, that they needed to repent of their sins and trust in the Lord Jesus and His completed and perfect work, that they needed to give up their self-righteousness, that they needed to give up their hard works, their efforts, so that they could be forgiven in, in Jesus Christ. And you were disappointed because they reacted so bitterly, so harshly, so negatively. That you thought to yourself, man, that wasn't worth it. But then a month later, they call you up and they say, hey, I've really been thinking about what you said to me and what you share with me. And God's really been convicting me. And I think I want to give my life to Jesus. And what you forget what you forget is that often, often the initial way that we respond to a word of God from our prideful, arrogant hearts and our sinfulness is rebuke. God, you can't say that to me. Because we want to be the rulers of our own lives. We want to be the sovereign of our own soul. We want to be the one who chooses our destiny, our path. Just listen to your heart. Follow your heart. Do what you want to do. Just uh, uh, manifest your own destiny. Name it and claim it. Proclaim it. We want to be the one who gets to say what happens to our life. And you know what the gospel says at its core, at its bottom, at its foundation? If you want to believe in Jesus, you have to make him the Lord of your life. And actually, you can't make him the Lord of your life. He is the Lord of your life. All you're doing is confessing to that reality. See, the, the offense in this moment is that they realized that if what God had said to Joseph in his dream was true, because the reason Jacob began to ponder whether this was going to happen is because Jacob knows the stories of his family. He knows the way God communicates through dreams that this is something he should have realized was happening. 
then that meant they would have to humble themselves before the favored son. They would have to humble themselves before the favored son. We take offense so we don't have to obey. We take offense to the gospel because we want to be the sovereign of our own lives when Jesus, because of his humiliation, has been exalted. And he's king of kings and he's lord of lords. And Jesus, we're told in Philippians chapter 2, at his name every knee will bow, every tongue confess in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Because of why? Because of what he suffered. Because of the way God has exalted him. And so what we need to do is we need to give a full consideration of God's word. We need to consider what God is saying to us in his word. We need to take it in. We need to chew on it. We need to meditate on it. We need to not, um, we need to not uh, think about um, what this is teaching us. We need to think about what this is teaching. We need to think about if we're reading God's word and, and our heart begins to kick back, to push back against it. What is that? What's going on there? What is God trying to teach us there? And when we share God's word with others, we need to not be discouraged by what seems to be initial reaction of anger, initial reaction of prideful frustration, knowing that often is the way God works. And that's the way God worked here in Jacob's heart. He had rebuked him. But then it tells us in verse 11 that his father kept the matter in mind. He considered it. He continued to ponder it, even though his brothers grew more jealous of him. Because really what we're being told here in Joseph's dreams, what we're being told here in his reality as the favorite son, as the faithful prophet, is that we have to humble ourselves before Jesus the favored son, and the faithful prophet. We have to humble ourselves. We have to repent and humble ourselves before our dear Savior, the one who died on the cross and who was raised three days later and ascended to sit at the right hand of the Father and who's coming again to judge the living and the dead. You could say that the Joseph story is a ripoff of the Jesus story. But in reality, what we should take from this is that Star Wars, Harry Potter, and Joseph are all a ripoff of the Jesus story because the Jesus story is the story of all stories. It is the first story. It is the great story. It is the stories from which all stories are made. And here in Joseph's story, we're seeing precursors to that, images of that. We're seeing foreshadowing. We're seeing Easter eggs of the great story of redemption. And we're being taught here in this moment through Joseph's life is it to make Jesus as our Savior, is to make him our Lord and to humble ourselves before the favored Son and the faithful prophet. Amen. We pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you.
for this gospel word. We pray, Lord, that it would teach us to humble ourselves before Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and that we might have our lives be more conformed to him. We might live in obedience to you, our Father, even if it brings the dislike and the hatred of the world, that we might faithfully proclaim the word of God just as our Savior Jesus did, no matter what reaction we may receive from others, and that we might know that often our initial reaction to a hard word from you is prideful anger, that we might take a moment to realize that our sinful flesh is reacting against what your word is calling us to, and we take offense so we don't have to obey. We pray, Lord, that we would let your word do your work in us, that we might become conformed more to the image of your son, Jesus Christ, who is the favorite son, the faithful prophet, that we might live out these lives, Christian lives, and faithfulness to you, being light and salt in this world, that we might know more of our Savior and be more like him each and every passing day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.